0: Children's Church, this morning. Oh, we don't. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Well, good morning again. Good morning again. I understand that uh, at this very moment, Pastor is preaching at uh, the Buntings Church. I don't recall the name of it. Um, I think most of you would remember the Buntings. Okay, well, perhaps you know someone who felt confident that upon the passing of a loved one, he or she would inherit something specific. You know, we've all had someone die who was close to us. And maybe you would maybe you found yourself in that category. You thought that you would receive X, Y, or Z. Or maybe you heard about a cousin or a friend or a co-worker. Or maybe something was promised to you or to them, but They never got it. Perhaps it was that way because the person who made the will changed their mind. Perhaps the thing that they were going to give to the individual no longer existed. Or there were perhaps competing interests Or maybe it was just not worth the effort. Maybe it was just useless. You know, somebody gives, there's some things that uh, people give away. You say, I would rather not have that. The uncertainties surrounded being chosen for an inheritance in this world are real. Not so when God chooses someone for an inheritance. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to share your word, to hear your word preached to us today. We pray, Lord, that you would bring clarity to your word, that you would enable us to speak as we ought, and to hear as we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Actually, you'll forgive me, but I think something is missing here. I think we were supposed to, I think Rose was supposed to read. I just realized that. I just realized that. So many th- things, things change around here. Uh, <laughs> But if, she, if, she is, if she's coming out, I'd be delighted to have her read this for us. Um, but otherwise, I'll go ahead and, and read it now. I know we're being recorded, so um, perhaps I'll just go ahead and and, uh, and read. the scripture that will form the text for our message this morning is found in 1 Peter, 1 Peter, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read verses 1 through 5, 1 through 5, you are going to see some very familiar words in this message, in this passage. 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 1 Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are exiles of the dispersion in Pontus Galatia Cappadocia Asia and Bithynia according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I believe that the scripture that we've just read is telling us something that's really very straightforward. It's telling us that chosen by God, believers will receive an eternal inheritance. I think that's the essence of these verses. Chosen by God, believers will receive an eternal inheritance. Can I, I want to say something to you before we proceed with this message. You know, I got to tell you. Years ago, I couldn't preach this message because I didn't understand the clear words that are found in this passage and elsewhere in Scripture. I debated against this strongly. And so perhaps some of you today will hear these words and you will wonder, is that true? Is the Bible really saying this? Well, I'm going to ask you just to listen to the to the words, just to listen to what the Holy Spirit said to the men who wrote the words in Scripture. The words are plain, and we're going to do a lot of reading today. So yes, I think that these words are telling us, these words that we have read, chosen by God, believers will receive an eternal inheritance. Inheritance. There are two points, two main points that I wish to draw out from these verses. The first will be under the topic the source of the believer's salvation and the second the nature of the believer's inheritance. Now not only are Peter's doctrines true, the words that we have just read, not only are they true, they are universally and permanently relevant as a source of encouragement. Peter writes this letter to churches in modern-day Turkey. Church members were being maltreated because of their belief No doubt they were being ridiculed and were being socially ostracized and perhaps even financially impacted. They were not well-received or well-thought-of in society. In the modern Western world, the truth is we've had a, a fairly good run, if you think about it. It hasn't really been that bad for believers, Unlike the churches that were the original recipients of Peter's letter, until recently we were largely respected as Christians and and even left alone by those who did not share our views about God or the place of religion in society. Of course it has been true for centuries and continues to be true that we have fellow Christians who bear emotional, social, and even physical scars for their faith. Some have even been put to death. For sure, this message of encouragement would be for them. One might think that Peter would offer a political or even an economic or social solution to their problems but no such subjective, temporary, elusive, and illusionary solution was offered. Instead, Peter said to them, as he says to us, hold your head high. You must remember who you are, chosen, and by whom you have achieved that status, the Trinity. Yes, when the culture turns on you, and when life... throws you a curveball perhaps a health condition you got to put things into perspective we tend to measure things from a biopic narrow perspective but peter reminds us today that there is a better way let's dig deeply into what peter says peter says believer you need to be mindful Of the source of your salvation. Peter helps us to see this in verses 1 to 3. In these short verses, Peter makes plain that believers are chosen. Believers are chosen. If you're a believer today, Peter says, You've been chosen. Chosen by who? Chosen by God. Peter says in verse 1, take a look at it. He says, he writes the letter to those who are elect. You see that? To those who are elect. He didn't say anything otherwise. He says, to those who are elect. Elect by who? Elect by God. And then in verse 2, Peter says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Elected according, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then in verse 3, Peter goes on to say that God has caused us to be born again. When you read those three verses, can there be any doubt whatsoever that believers, that if you are a believer, you didn't choose God, but he Chose you. you didn't elect him, but he elected you. You didn't foreknow him, he foreknew you. The NIV uses the word chosen in verse 2. And this is what the NIV says. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Chosen today. The doctrine that Peter writes about here is often debated. Today, this, it's often debated. This doctrine that Peter clearly writes about is often debated. Yet, it is plain to see that Peter meant what Peter meant, and that he undoubtedly had taught these things to his readers before. I'm sure that Peter wasn't just dropping this on them. That's my point. He must have taught this to them before. This doctrine, the doctrine of election, aligns squarely with God's sovereignty to display His glory and His purposes. Peter tells believers, You have been chosen by God for salvation, not because of what you have done, not because of who you are, but because of God's mercy because of his foreknowledge before the foundation of the earth. The foreknowledge that Peter writes about here is not just simply knowing, God knowing who will be saved. Some people try to tell you that. They try to tell you that that means that it, oh, you know God just knows because he knows everything. But that's not what the Bible tells us. Consider what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 verses 29 and 30. Paul writes, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. But let's go up to 29. For those whom he foreknew, Paul writes, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Paul uses this same word about God foreknowing. God, and he says that those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Our salvation is not anything that we did. It is something that God did, that he chose to do. Scripture supports the doctrine of election. Indeed, the scriptures are so plain in this respect. I think it's better really to read just to, just to explore. I want to explore a few passages with you. I think this is so important for us to grasp. Just so important for us to understand because when we, when we understand that God chose us and we didn't choose Him, it gives us a certainty of our salvation. It removes pride from us and it gives us a sense of of humility. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before, before, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. With which... He has blessed us in the beloved. Now, perhaps you're hearing this today. You're saying, "But God chose me before the foundation of the... How did he do that? Why did he do that? Let me tell you, there's lots of this stuff we don't understand. I'm not standing here telling you that I understand it. I certainly don't. But the Bible teaches us that this is what he did. Chosen by God. But you see, if you asked the question, you wouldn't be the first to ask the question. Consider this account in Romans chapter 9. This is what it says, speaking about Jacob and Esau. The Bible says, though they were yet, they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad. Did you hear that? They were yet unborn and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue not because of works but because of him who calls. She was told, that's their mother, was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau, I hate it. And then Paul continues in verse 14. Paul, asks, Paul says, what shall we say? Being practical. Paul says, what shall we say? So Paul, Paul anticipates that we are going to hear that and we're going to ask the question, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part to choose one and not the other? to prefer one over the other? And Paul answers the question, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 18, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You know, if we were in a Court of law, one might almost say, listen, case closed, case made. And verse 19, Paul continues, You will say then, why does he still find fault? Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you? Paul responds, O man, to answer back to God. Well, what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the porter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump d- done vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Paul engages in a discourse which would be Quite similar to what you and I would do if we found ourselves in a similar situation. But here's a final scripture that I'd like to share with you on this subject. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul writes, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but... Because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Brothers and sisters, I pray that today that your hearts are are gladdened and your hearts are leaping because he chose you before the foundation of the earth. And he chose you not because of anything that you would have done. Of course, it is our nature to think that we chose God or a righteous God could not condemn others to hell. Peter sets out in these three verses, verses 1, 2, and 3, that not only a Christian chosen by God the Father, the entire Trinity, is involved in the work of our salvation. Notice what Peter writes about the Holy Spirit in verse 2 of 1 Peter. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ in the sprinkling with his blood. Oftentimes when we speak of sanctification, we are thinking about our own efforts in pursuit of holiness. Here I believe that Peter is writing about the work of the Holy Spirit in the process of salvation to grant believers imputed sanctification. That is to say, the act of the Holy Spirit sets the believer apart so that he can serve God. That is why Peter can say what he says in First Peter chapter two, verse nine. Listen to what Peter says in First Peter chapter two verse nine. Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not his people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A chosen race having received mercy, having had the love of God bestowed upon you. Moreover, we see the role of the Son in the process of our salvation. Peter makes, let's take a look at that. Peter says in verse 2, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with blood. Peter makes two distinct points here. First, believers are saved so that we might be obedient to Jesus. Of course, obedience is expected in an ongoing way. But in the act of salvation... It is the acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord. Indeed, Jesus himself said, no one comes to the Father except by me. And that cannot happen unless one is drawn. The second aspect of Jesus' involvement in the process of our salvation has to do with his death. Notice what Peter says here again. I want us to, to, to take a look again at what Peter says here. Peter says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Angus, Macley writing on this clause opined that while Peter could have had in view the sprinkling of blood for the forgiveness of sin as found in Leviticus 4 or Exodus 12 where the sprinkling of blood on the doorposts on the night of the Passover was a sign that the angel of death would not, would preserve God's people it is likely a reference to Exodus 24, verses 1 through 8, where Moses confirms the covenant between the Lord and his chosen people. Here the people made a commitment to God while they were traveling from a foreign land, and they are sprinkled with blood. We see later in the chapter that God's glory descends and stays with them until they arrive in the promised land, the land of inheritance. Angus Macleay writes, given this background, Peter warns his covenant Gentile audience to understand that they are in the same sort of situation as God's people in Exodus chapter 24. Like them, they have been taken out of their old home. They have now been constituted as God's chosen, covenanted people through the blood sacrifice of Jesus, and their obedient response. They must now commence their pilgrimage through the wilderness to the promised land. As they travel, they will know God's glory resting on them, even amidst difficulties even amidst difficulties. And this is Peter's message to the churches. Peter is saying to this church, Peter is saying to these people who have been abused, who have Peter described them, he says, you are elect exiles away from home, not enjoying the niceties of life. Peter is saying you can hold your head up high because you're chosen by God. Yes, believers must see themselves. You and I as believers must see ourselves as exiles. In normal everyday language, when we use the word exile, we refer to someone who is in a country where he or she has limited status. It's not a citizen. It must be understood that Peter was not here referring to believers as non-citizens in the traditional sense of the word. He was speaking more broadly. If Peter were here today and speaking to us, he might say, though you have a Bahamian passport, which entitles you to all the rights and privileges of a Bahamian citizen, you need to be ever mindful that, you have a more enduring citizenship that is not of this world. Peter will say to you that you ought to live as a Bahamian exile, knowing that you have an inheritance. Sometimes you need to be reminded yourself. We all need to be reminded that we are just passing through, that this world is not our home. And when things get difficult, as they often do, we ought to remind ourselves that we are but exiles passing through. Remember that we have been chosen, known by God before the foundation of the earth. And he, for whatever reason, decided to shower us with his mercy. To cause us to know him. In verse 3, Peter makes clear that it was God's mercy that has caused us to be born again. It was not God's justice that caused us to be born again. Aren't you glad about that? It was not our holiness that caused us to be born again. It was not even our good works that caused us to be born again. Peter, in verse 3, says plainly, it was God's mercy. It was his mercy. If you're a believer, aren't you glad today that you are a chosen exile? You don't have to look forward to the things that this world has to offer because this place, is not your home. You are just traveling through. There is nothing the world can throw at an exile that can match the description of what awaits you and me. When you're persecuted for Christ's sake, you can declare yourself a chosen exile. When you're wrongly talked about, When things are not going as you expect, you can declare that you are a chosen exile. What a perspective to have. What a way to view life's challenges, life's obstacles. To view the the things of life. Move now to my second and final point, the nature of the believer's inheritance. Bible scholars tell us that the main recipients of this letter were Jews who were away from home, their home country. And poor Gentiles. Perhaps both groups, both groups, poor and mistreated, felt that they did not have an inheritance on earth. But Peter is about to tell them in verse 4. You know the verse well, We, we studied it just moments ago. Peter is about to tell them about this. Glorious inheritance that awaits those who have been chosen. What do we know about this inheritance? Peter tells us four things about this inheritance. You remember what they are? Peter says about this inheritance. He says number one, it is. Then he says it is undefiled. undefiled, and then, and then finally. Kept in heaven for us. That's right. Peter says that this inheritance. That awaits you. And me. First it's imperishable. By that. Peter is telling us that. It's not going to change. It's going to. It'll last forever. You know, there is something in physics that they call the second law of thermodynamics. And basically, what it's all about, it tells us that, you know, no matter what exists, anything is going to to fade, it's going to lose its value, it's going to eventually move to a state of chaos. Doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter what it is, this chair, the trees, everything that Peter tells us, not so with this inheritance. It is imperishable. And then he says that it is undefiled. There is no sin. There is no contamination. There is no defect whatsoever. Then about this inheritance, Peter writes that it is unfading. It never wears out. Now, this this is just amazing. Peter says, this inheritance is unfading. It never wears out. It never gets down. And Peter is saying to you and me that what you and I can look forward to when we get there, when we get to heaven. He says, after a thousand years, we'll be as excited as we were on day one, because it is unfading, it never gets dull. How amazing is that? And then Peter says of this inheritance, that it is kept in heaven. It's kept in heaven because Peter perhaps has in view that maybe some people might think, you know, I wonder if that's going to be there, how long that's going to be there for me. But Peter says, listen, you can be assured of one thing. This inheritance, it's kept in heaven. You know who the great keeper is. It's kept by the one whose power is without end. As we conclude today, perhaps you're wondering at a thought in the past whether the salvation you now have will last. Yes? I get it. I get it. I get it. Chosen by God before the foundation of the earth. I see it clearly in Scripture. You've read all of those passages. Chosen by God. But will it last? Will it last? Given our tendency to commit sin, that would seem like a reasonable question to to ask. But take a look at verse 5 of of this passage verse 5 says who who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time Peter tells us in verse 5 that our salvation is being guarded not by our pastor, not by our church community, not by our brothers and sisters, not by our good works, not by our holiness. Rather, Peter says, who by God's power, it is God's power, the guards, our salvation we are being guarded by god himself so through what lenses do you view the circumstances of life whether pleasant or unpleasant peter says we must view Life through the prism that we have been chosen for an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, and, and undefiled, and kept in heaven for us. And that our salvation is guarded by God. I know that it's easier said than done. I know I can stand here and, and say this, that we should look at life's circumstances that way. I know that. I know that sometimes we get hit with blows and, and the farthest thing from our minds is in that moment is the reality that we've been chosen by God. And that we have this inheritance to look forward to. And if I know that, I know that the Lord knows that. One of the things that he has done for us is that he causes us to to come together in in places and at times like these so that we can be reminded. And perhaps there is something right now that you're going through and and you needed to hear these words. You needed to know that you know, whatever it is I'm dealing with in my life. I'm going to wear that thing loosely because I'm really a chosen exile. Wear it loosely. Wear the things of this world loosely because there is not permanency to this, but there is permanency to our inheritance. There is not certainty to this. But there is certainty to our inheritance. That's what Peter tells us. It's unfading. What a, what a delight it's going to be. But all of this, my brothers and sisters, is only true because of the work that Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary. It's only true because of that. And I pray for those of us who are present and those of us who are watching via live stream. If you don't know Christ, it's my prayer that God would be pleased to open your eyes so that you too would know the joy of being chosen by God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of salvation. Lord, we thank you. We bow our heads in humility, Lord. We acknowledge, Father, that we do not understand all that we have considered this morning. But we know that you are a sovereign God, and we put our faith in you. We put our faith in you. Lord, we also must confess that oftentimes when life's challenges confront us, we don't put it within the scope of the words that we have considered. Lord, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to to do just that, to... To wear the things of this life loosely. And Lord, to consider the end and not just the thing that we are going through. Oh Lord, we pray for our brothers and our sisters. We know, Lord, that you are not far away from us. We know, Lord, that you are a a powerful and you are a sovereign God You are almighty. You are concerned about us, Lord. Lord, it is so amazing to us that the God of the universe, before the foundation of the earth, would stoop down and consider to to save us, to, to rescue us, to grant salvation to us. Before we were formed in our mother's wombs, you saved us. You chose us. How amazing, Lord, how amazing. Lord, cause our hearts to be gladdened, to be encouraged, and to be bowed low because we understand and we know this truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Please ask you to join as we sing our closing song, His Forever. Please stand and sing along, His Forever. Jesus, friend of sinners, loved me and I you. closely twine the ties that none can sever for I am his and he is mine forever and forever
0: Jesus friend of sinners
1: a crown of thorns you wore for my transgressions hence for my iniquities the wrath of god that i deserved was poured out on the innocent he took my place my soul to save Now i am his forever Jesus friend. Jesus, friend of sinners, I love to tell the story. Redeeming love has been my thing, and will be led in glory. But death or life or anything can ever separate me. Love that will not let me go. Yes, I am his forever. Not death, not death, or life, nor anything can ever separate me. Love that will not let me go. Yes, I am his forever.
0: And all God's people say, amen, amen. If you need prayer, it would be our delight to pray with you. Otherwise, you will dismiss. God bless you.